the grain. Looking at big ideas through the lens of small communities. A podcast where arts, culture, and the human experience intersect. Tackling serious topics through fun perspectives. Seeking that grain of truth. Welcome back to The Grain. I'm your host, Jody Srutek, and I'm here with my co-host. Darian McLeod. And today we are so excited because we have a very special guest with us today. We have Dr. Jones with us today. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Thaddeus Jones, with probably the best name of anybody I know. Um, anyway, <laughs> Darian. <laughs> I'm just going to act like you didn't say that, Joe. You weren't thinking about me when you said that. <laughs> you have a great name. I'm you cool. also have a great name. Cool. Dr. You. Thaddeus Jones is pretty special. That's pretty dope. I got to admit, Dr. Jones is pretty dope. Dr. Jones grew is pretty into dope. It. What can I say? Well, I want, we want to talk about that. Your growth pattern into that. Uh, I got some questions for you off the bat, man. Let's um tell the people who you are and what you do and where you do it. Uh, I am, uh, once again, Dr. Thaddeus Jones, Jr. Uh, <laughs> I am uh, the program director, director of programming at the Nickelodeon Theater, and I am the director of Indie Grits Labs in Columbia, South Carolina. What exactly is the Nickelodeon Theater and what exactly is Indie Grits? So the Nickelodeon Theater and think of the Nickelodeon Theater and Indie Grits as two arms right, two arms of a organization. The organization's real title is the Columbia Film Society. And the Nickelodeon Theater is the art house theater that uh, we exhibit, art house fair, and, and some, uh, some more independent films, uh, right? You can come in and, and, and actually wear a two screen uh, art house cinema in downtown Columbia, South Carolina on Main Street. And you can come in and, and have, uh, you know, some of our famous popcorn and some wine and beer and watch watch a movie. Um, and the Indie Grits side of things is the side that does all the media literacy and uh, media education and our uh, work with local artists, entrepreneur, independent filmmakers and uh kids and we reach out throughout the state to to foster growth of the film industry within the state of South Carolina. Mm, okay. So what you're telling me is um if I'm looking to go check out the latest Marvel blockbuster, I probably won't see it at the Nick, but I'll see something funky and unusual and super cool. Not that Marvel ain't cool too, but you know what I mean. Right. Yeah, no, so yeah, definitely. You will not see a Marvel film at the Nickelodeon. What you will see is films like Respect, the Aretha Franklin film that's coming out here on uh, August the 13th of 2021. You'll see films like Roadrunner that's currently playing. Yeah, I want to see um, that, yeah. I saw it today, excellent Really? Yeah, Excellent. that's my dude, man. Um, Jody, were you a big fan of Anthony Bourdain? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah Anthony yeah. Bourdain is, um, well, okay. So I worked in restaurants for a long time because I went to art school. <laughs> of course, you're an artist. You got to work in so, restaurants. So naturally, 
I worked in a lot of restaurants. Uh, so, so hospitality, restaurant industry as well. And I was always just fascinated how he could just with people like from any culture, anywhere in the world, like he could find that common thread with folks just over food. I mean, you know, it's one of the obvious ways that we connect with people, but yeah, definitely. Anthony Bourdain, it, it was such a loss. So yeah, cool. So I gotta check that out. All right. So absolutely. Thad, thanks for bringing us up to speed. Excuse me, Dr. Jones. <laughs> thanks for bringing up speed for that. Um, let Indiana know that you're in town. But anyway, um, yeah, they, I got to get in. I got to get Minerva Car point. Well, and we, I think we will. I we ha we can't talk with Dr. Thaddeus Jones Jr. without talking <laughs> about the best films of the 1980s, right? And that sort of nostalgic film references from our youth. Like that's kind of your bread and butter, isn't it? Your, your... Oh, I, I love those films, uh, uh, Raiders and, and Goonies and uh, The Lost Boys and uh, oh, I mean Lost you can just yeah you know, I, yeah 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 I mean you could go down go down the list of some of those '80s films that made me a uh, uh, you know cinephile. You know, I just used to love going to the movies and, and watching you know even stuff like the movie like The Stuff. Or reanimator, I, you know, I'm a big horror, horror guy. So uh, yeah, those, that's right. Mm. Those films, you know, I used to watch those every every uh, week, all, all weekend long. And my mom was like, "Why are you in here watching these horror movies? Like, go outside." And I'm like, "So I, I had a, <laughs> I gotta ask you then, because I keep seeing people say, "Well, what was the, what was the movie that traumatized you as a kid?" So like we're all going to date ourselves probably with this question, but for me it was Pet Cemetery, because it was a movie I would not have been allowed to watch at my own home, but I went to a friend's house, and I must have been, I was young, like I was like in third grade probably. I might have been eight or nine, not even nine, I don't think. And my friend just played it like it was the normal thing to watch, and I was like. <laughs> so what, I got it. If you're into horror, like what was your movie? Totally into horror. My movie was probably the same movie as as many others, uh, which is Friday the Thirteenth, the original. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, and and to your point, my first time watching it was uh, at a friend's house, um, not in my house, but at a friend's house at a sleepover. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that was the first horror movie I can vividly remember watching. I think the next horror movie that I saw is a movie that I'm still looking for today. I have not been able to find called the mad butcher and it, it was on VHS. It was an Italian horror film and I have not been able to find that film anywhere. So if anybody out there has a, has the uh, plug for the mad butcher, uh, hit me up. <laughs> All right, this is cool. I like, I love hearing this. Okay, but I got, I got questions for you. I want you, we are, since we're traveling back in time, let's go back before your Dr. Jones, let's go back to your Thaddeus. And you're saying you're hanging out in the house all the time, because I know you're, you're cinephile, you're a filmmaker, you're a film buff, you, know, you work for a film agency. Young Thaddeus, third grade Thaddeus, did he know he was going to be all these things did he know that he was going to grow up and make horror films or what did 
Third grade Thaddeus. What is what does he third, want to be when he third, grows up? Third grade Thaddeus was definitely uh, wanting to be a film something. I was I was uh, in the gifted and talented program, mm-hmm. um, and got my first dose of filmmaking back then with a VHS camcorder in my gifted and talented program. And we made something for a time capsule. And I think that was my first like real, like, oh my God, we can act things out and we can, like, I was really excited about it. And so I can remember that summer thinking to myself, if only I had a video camera, if we Mm -hmm. only had a video camera, we could be making movies right now. And, uh, so I didn't have that. So what I did was I just started writing all these stories mm-hmm. and it kind of got me into, uh, poetry and writing. And, and, and so that was my first, I had no idea what I was going to do, but poetry was always the, the first go-to for me. It, it just a stream of consciousness kind of style of writing. And, uh, I had, I was lucky enough to, uh, that my mom fostered that, and, uh, you know, I wasn't a big reader either um, because I read I read so slowly uh, and it just didn't I couldn't couldn't keep a thought while I was trying to read. So the writing aspect um, informed a lot of, you know, the struggle with reading. Mm-hmm. And um, and so as I was, you know, going through the motions of stuff. I always thought like I'm going to be a filmmaker and then, you know, people just started to take the air out of my sails. You can't do that here. You're in South Carolina. Do you know anybody that's a filmmaker? Like, like it it was that kind of thing for a long time. And it, uh, it, yeah, it took the air out of my sails for a long time. You know, I had my grandmother who supported me, but she was always like, listen, do something practical first. And then if you want to make films, you know, at least you have that to fall back on. Uh, and so I, I tried very much to do that. Um, and she took ill and passed away. And, and that's a that was that's a whole nother story. But after she did pass away, I dropped out of college for 10 years. So I'm, I was trying to get back to me. And uh, what I found in those 10 years was that one Arts is my thing. I knew already, already knew arts was my thing, right? It was just I had internalized what everybody else was saying, and uh, and two, you only get to go around this this big blue marble one time, presently as as far as we know, in this form and shape, and uh, you might as well live it up. So some some things aligned where I could go back to school, and, and another opportunity, you know, presented itself and. It was a long journey back. I'll tell you, it was a long journey back. But uh, I always said if I ever got to a level like this, that I would I would be a beacon for someone else, some other child who wanted to be a filmmaker, who wanted to be a photographer, who wanted, and, and everybody around them was saying, you can't do that here. I wanted to be the voice that was saying, yes, you can, and I will show you how you can do it here. And so that's how I ended up here. <laughs> Can I, can I interrupt you for a second? Because you keep saying here, and I, I like that. Can you give us, be more specific, where was here? I grew up in Hampton, South Carolina, mm-hmm. a rural town uh, about 45 minutes northwest of Beaufort, South Carolina. Um, 
in the middle of nowhere, man. Like we, we, we had, when I was growing up, we had like three or four stoplights. We had a McDonald's, a dairy. No, we didn't have a McDonald's. We had a dairy queen. We had a Hardee's and, uh, and a Burger King. We had a Piggly Wiggly and a super duper. And that was the extent of the grocery stores in our, in my town and the fast food and everybody hung out at uh, the courthouse on Friday nights or in the parking lot of one of the fast food places. And uh, they burned, you know, bonfires in the family farms yards. And uh, if you didn't, ha- if you weren't one of the people that had a family farm, you were camping out in your backyard and, and running around the streets of little old Hampton and romping in the woods. So uh, my first foray into seeing movies in this town was through the police athletic league when our theater was operational. And I, you know, it, it was the first time I saw the Goonies on screen. And I tell people this story all the time and they don't believe me. There was a squid in the original version of the Goonies. There's a giant squid when they slide down the water, um, slide all the way to the lagoon towards the end. The original version had a giant squid. And uh, and it has been removed from the uh, from the current copies. But if you go and look it up online, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. So why was the squid removed from the squid lobbying? People uh, yeah. in DC I have no or something. Idea. The squid industry maybe, did not approve of giant <laughs> squids eating children. Maybe they thought it was too too scary. Maybe it changed the rating at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, but for whatever reason, it didn't make the cut. And I I don't know how we ended up watching this one this cut, but I never forgot that. And then in subsequent viewings because it's, it's like one of my favorite movies and i would buy you know the dvd or whatever now i have bought several dvds looking for it and it's just not there but if you go on youtube you can see the actual uh the outtake it, i feel like that is i remember the squid and <laughs> i wonder if it wasn't cut because the movie aired for tv at some point, remember, because back in the 80s, like they would have a TV special. Yeah. They don't do this anymore, but with, there would be a TV special and everybody would, you know, you would know exactly when it was going to be and you would plan for it because yep. they didn't have VCRs and or that wasn't as common and they might have had to cut it for time. They might have, but subsequently it has never made it back into like any of the DVDs aisle. It's not in it. And I, I found that amazing, you know, and then, you know, you're talking about the eighties. This is a, this is, you know, a time where I was riding a BMX bike around town and you couldn't tell me I wasn't part of the monster squad or <laughs> had that experience of being able and being able to ride in the summertime until the streetlights came on and had to be back at the house before, you know, it got totally dark. So, all right. So, yeah. <laughs> Young Thad is riding around the streets of Hampton, thinking he's a member of the Monster Squad, dreaming about what he's going to be when he grows up. He knows he's going to be a filmmaker. So we take this young, poor black boy. Well, I inferred poor, but... Oh, you're right. Single mother. Okay. Uh, okay. Single mother of three. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually the oldest of five, but... Uh, one, you know, my brother passed away. He was younger um, than I. He passed away in uh, ah, 2011, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
And then, uh, you know, I have a, another sister who is by a different dad. But anyway, the oldest of five. Okay. And uh, my mom raised four of us. And yeah, and so the oldest of five, you know, that comes with a lot of other things, right? Like you're the oldest, you have to understand, you have to sacrifice, you have to be the one to wait to get your sneakers for school, the one to wait to get your new clothes as everybody else is Dude, not going to understand. you are talking to the eldest of five. Yeah, so you you know, you know. Right, 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 You know, it's it's the, it's it's part of that. So I always dreamed about being able to make it to a place where I could take care of my mom, take care of my family and, and, uh, and enjoy what I was doing. Um, and gifted and talented helped that for, to nurture that for a long time. Uh, when I made it to high school, um, you know, not as much, I had some, some honors classes and things, and that kind of kept me challenged. Um, but you know, there was no conversation from my guidance counselors about arts school or, uh, you know, even how to go to college, um, you know, the FAFSA and all of that stuff, there was no information. I had to figure it out on my own. Uh, and so my first year, I, I, my first couple colleges that I applied to, I applied to, uh, Morehouse, I applied to South Carolina State and I applied to NYU. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping on NYU. My grandmother lived in uh, New York. I wanted to go and and obviously be a you know be a filmmaker, and I did not get into NYU, and I was devastated. And then um, I got into Morehouse, but I couldn't afford to go mm-hmm. um, because of out out of state tuition, and so right. I was just like. Morehouse, that's big bank right there. There's a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm a little poor black kid from yeah. Hampton, South Carolina with a single mom. So, uh, so I will I, say, though, that is it's very impressive that you were accepted when you had a guidance counselor who didn't even talk to you about college. <laughs> I did. Like, and that and is I, a kind of I mean, I feel like that's a that's a big deal, you know, because it's a selective university. I mean, it is a very prestigious university so well if they had helped me pay for that thing no. i know <laughs> no, it, it was, <laughs> and then the scores i got in off of was like my eighth grade um sat score so you know with your when you're in these t- gifted and talented programs they give you the opportunity to take the test earlier it was either eighth or ninth grade i can't remember when i took it um but i never took it again and that was those were the scores that um got me in to school. So, um, South Carolina state, it was, it was in state, um, which is looking back now, it's just as expensive. It is, is <laughs> it's, it's real, it's really mm. just as expensive. You just got to figure out how to do it. Right. And, uh, without guidance, you re- you're, you're looking at those numbers going, Oh my God, I can't afford this. But when I was at state, I couldn't afford books. It was just like, <laughs> You know, I got to, I got to, I went through my whole first semester with no books, not a, not a, not one book. Oh yeah. Done it. Done it. Yeah. Done it. All that, all of that. But to your point, Jody, that is admirable of you, Fed, but I, I hate to say this, but I think it's not that unusual a story. It is an extraordinary story, but it's not that unusual. I know too many people 
that have struggled. You're, a lot of things you mentioned now mirror my own struggle, um, getting through school. And I know too many people, I think, I hope, and I think now it's better because families are more plugged in. And I think there are even more opportunities for kids and so on and so on. But uh, especially 80s and probably prior to, um, I can't speak to that. I think it was uh, relatively easy for children to find themselves. But yeah, like I said, I think um, there are a lot of people who came through similar struggles. And I'm hoping now that there are fewer people, but I'm not naive enough to think that there are not still people out there going through similar struggles. I think, I think the internet has allowed, again, I came up when dial-up was a thing. So, you know, I think the internet has become a, if a, a good, I don't want to say it's completely leveled the playing field as far as that goes, but it has made the access to the information a lot easier. It is a real resource. It is a super resource. And even in my town back in those days, it was, you know, if we had had internet access, you know, at the library or something like that, it would have been a lot easier to find those resources. So I think that nowadays, if a, a kid is gifted or identified as gifted and talented and um, has a motivated support system to help them find that information. Um, it, it can, it can be found, but I think that, uh, you know, a lot of parents still don't know, you know, because of their struggles. I'm, I'm an outlier. So I'm, I'm kind of like, and you're probably an outlier too, Darian. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, where we are pushing our kids finding information and actively still working in this field um, that we're able to afford that access to that information to people, uh, family and, 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 fit, you know, extended family alike versus, you know, I deal with a lot of kids that still live in rural Hampton and don't have that access. They don't have broadband internet. Um, you know, they don't know, how to go about getting access other than, you know, social media stuff is great, but, you know, we, we all know that that is not a um, consistent source or necessarily a, a the uh, best source, best source the best. a factual source, right, of, of information. Um, so, yeah, there's still some very much some challenges, especially for, for rural areas, but um, I think that a lot of people have noticed and, 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 you know, my, you know, my situation, um, is not a unique situation. It's, it's a situation that now people who have gone on to, to get degrees and understand, you know, what it was when they were coming up are going back and, and trying to make sure that the access is there. For right. how, through whatever means. So. Right. so you work your way back to college. Young Thad has, I guess by now, you've migrated to Columbia. Or maybe have you made some stops along the way? Yeah. Well, yeah. How do you how do you what happens between young Thad and Dr. Jones? God happened, you? I'll tell you. 
I'll tell you what, that's what happened. God happened. Divine, in, yeah. div divine intervention. Divine intervention. That, yeah. now that's that's pretty big right there, homie. That's that's some big stuff that God well, comes sitting on the cloud and like yeah. he uh he he spoke to me in the loudest voice ever. Here's how it happened. Mm -hmm. I was on I owned a bread truck. Mm -hmm. I was a independent distributor for a bread company that I will not name. Mm -hmm. And I was working 18 hours a day. I was literally getting off of my truck at 10 o'clock at night, having to be back to work at two in the morning. I was miserable. I was making my then uh, girlfriend miserable, my kids miserable. I was unhappy. My life had already taken this turn that I was unhappy with. Um, I was tearing my body down and I was driving from Hampton to Walterboro every day because that's where my depot was. So I pulled up at the depot and I could not get out of my car. I physically just could not bring myself to get out of my car. And I sat in that car at two in the morning underneath one of the biggest oak trees I'd ever seen and just sat there and had a conversation with God. And my perspective at that point was like, God, why, why did you do this to me? Like, you know, I'm not a bad person. I just want, you know, the things that everybody wants. And in the clearest, plainest, earth-shattering voice I had ever heard in my life, just inside of my own head. You know, you have that voice that you hear that's your own voice. And clearly and distinctly, this was not mine, but it was beamed in. And it clearly said, I did not do this to you. You did this to yourself. I had something else for you. You made these decisions, but it's not too late but you have to act now. And that was a scary moment, but also it was a defining moment. Like, are you going to live by faith or are you going to continue to do what you're doing and, and, and make, make this decision? And in that moment, I knew I wasn't, I was, I was ready for something different. And I called my supervisor even as an independent distributor, you have a supervisor. And I told him, listen, you're gonna have to get somebody to come and drive this truck up. I, I can't do it anymore. And he thought, oh, what are you sick? Are you, yeah. I was like, no, I'm gonna sell this truck, I'm, I'm done. Uh, he was heated, he was upset. And I was like, listen, the, the decision is made. I'm pulling out of the parking lot now, so you figure it out. And from that moment on, it was not easy but I guarantee you every step I took for every one step I took, there was somebody there to help me in the next move. I, I didn't have a job. I literally went home and got in an argument with my then girlfriend because we had two kids. We had a four bedroom house and two uh, cars and I was the only one working. I paid for all of it and, and she was home with the kids. And she was just basically like, what are we going to do? And I was like, I will figure it out. Um, that relationship disintegrated. I literally got a job on Hilton Head Island selling suits at SNK. I went in, I was ungroomed, probably the most sloppily 
dressed, I but tried to be, you know, trying to clean myself up. And a young woman by the name of Artist Jenkins, shout out to Artist Jenkins, because she gave me, she saw something in me at that moment that saved me. And she hired me when she probably shouldn't have. And so she, and, uh, she asked me, you know, what are, what do you want to do? And I was like, I really don't know. And she was like, you should be a substitute teacher. And I was like, listen, <laughs> kids, nah, I'm good. I'm, 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 trust me, I'm, I'm rough around the edges. I'm too, I, I, I easily slip into a curse word. Like it's not, not, no, I'm not, not doing it. She was like, listen, just apply. They're looking for, you know, looking for uh, male teachers, like you can make good money. Plus she said, and she threw it in on the back and she was like, you know, the island slows down uh, after the summertime, you know, the hours are gonna be cut. Like you, you, you should really be thinking about this. So I applied to uh, Hampton School District One. I got a position as a proxy and uh, that, led me to a young man I was a proxy for and kept me in school every day, in elementary school, mind you, taking notes, middle school for him, um, and put me around other teachers. And teachers were saying, listen, you should go back to school and get your um, teaching degree. You should go and get a degree in education and come back and teach. And I was like, ah, I guess, no, I don't really want to do that, but I was looking for something, right? And then a project, for, for the kids came along and it was a video project. And that video project made me, you know, kind of reawaken that dream of being a filmmaker in me. I was like, oh yeah, I know how to, I know how to do this. And I helped them cut together their, their little uh, school video. Like you, you can only make the best decision that you can make in the moment in the life of that decision, right? It's it's always it's not about uh, you know where you start off and what the opportunity is. You know, sometimes the opportunities aren't very high output opportunities, but if you put in the effort, another opportunity will present itself, and that has been the the road map that has gotten me to this point is. I have said yes to opportunities that were, it was scary moving to Columbia, leaving my children at the time in Hampton, moving to Columbia, not knowing anyone. But again, I knew one person, coincidentally, the one person that I called and got who was a temp uh, when I called the film school program. Wait a minute, um, you broke up. Let's make sure that came through correctly. <laughs> you said temp. Yeah, she was a temp. Okay, just making sure. In the film, uh, this is what I'm talking about when I say God just put people in the right place for me to be able to do what I needed to do. As long as I kept moving forward, he kept putting people to help me. So this person was a temp in the film department at USC. And I called mm -hmm. one day to inquire about their um, program after, after talking with a professor uh, previously, and I called, and and this person picked up the phone, and she laid it out for me. She was like, "Listen, you could get um, family and graduate housing. I'll send you the application." Now, this, none of this is her job, mind you. 
Mm-hmm. I'll send you the application. There's family and graduate housing. You got kids. They, they'll let your kids come. Like, it's all of these different things. And I was like, man, I really want to see that. I don't know anybody in Columbia. And I'm thinking out loud. And she was like, listen, you can sleep on my couch. Come up here. Uh, yeah. And I'm, that's, that's what I'm like. Uh, yeah, all right. Um, and she was like, listen, I know it sounds weird, but if you need to come up here and take a look and see what this is. And at the time, I had nothing to lose. I was moving on faith and faith alone. So when she said, listen, you can, like, and this is early days of like Black Planet or something like that. She's like, look, here's my Black Planet thing. Here's oh, my yeah, phone number. Planet. Yeah. I totally forgot it. Jody, do you know? Uh, I do Black not Planet? know what Black Planet is. My guess is it's like Facebook, but for Black people. Is that right? Right. Okay. It was like my. It was like MySpace. No one invited me. Sorry, <laughs> Jody. You didn't. You didn't have a Black Planet account, Jody. No, no Black Planet page for you, Jody. No. Oh, we gotta, we gotta have to get you one. We have to get I you one. <laughs> I did not have a Facebook account until like I don't even know 2004. Me either. <laughs> like, I was not into it at yeah, all. No, no, yeah. wait. It was shoot. It was way later than that. No, it was way later than that. Hold on. I, I'll <laughs> like keep it 14, even. 14. 2014. That sounds Six about right. Ago. I'll I'll take you even further back. We would talk on Yahoo Messenger. Oh yeah, I used to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's how you know. And and she she would say, "Listen, I'm not crazy." I know I don't know you, you don't know me, but I can see that you're trying to do something. And she said, God put it on my heart to, oh. to invite you to, to do this. And I was like, oh, Lord. There's that divine intervention again. Right. And, 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 that and what mandate. Do you do? Mm. What do you do? You, do you keep going? For, you trust. You, so I drove my raggedy truck up to Columbia, South Carolina. And she showed me around, and she was true to her word. She showed me around. Um, she showed me the campus. She showed me where Carolina Gardens was. Like, she put me on the game in Columbia. And, 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 and by the next semester, I had housing. Um, and she put me on to, like, a work-study job. Like, real talk, if, if it wasn't for this person who was a Tim, <laughs> wasn't even her job. Um, I could not have, I wouldn't have known how to, to, to get into this school. You want to give a shout out or you want to keep it your seat? Her name is Kim, Kimberly Johnson. And we still talk from time to time. She will, uh, message me and check and see how I'm doing. Uh, She has since moved from Columbia. Um, but she literally, um, is is like one of the biggest reasons I was able to 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 move here. And you know, when you're moving someplace new and you don't know anybody, it's it can be a very lonely thing. Um, I, I had to leave my kids uh, and everything, all my friends, you know, and then move to Columbia. I just it was it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I can remember moving, driving up from from Hampton to Columbia in my uh, Ford Taurus by that time and uh, packed to the gills and, and, you know, actually shedding some tears on the interstate because one, I was leaving my kids and two, man, it was scary. I didn't, I didn't know anybody. And here I am, this former thug 
trying to trying to <laughs> trying to be uh, an academic. Who knew I would go this far? But uh, you know, when you make those 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 prayers, you you say, God, I'll, if you help me, I'll go as far as as far as you'll take me, as far as you want me to go. And and God will hold you to it. Uh, <laughs> the doors will keep opening, and you have to keep walking through it. Like and and so, you know, it it makes it a a, a, a real journey. Uh, I had no idea that I would be a doctor. I always thought in the back of my mind, I, I I could be a doctor. I could do that. But I never knew what that path would look like. To, to okay, so then to that point, jump forward. How do you get on the path? to be a doctor how i mean like, you wake up one morning you finally go hey i'm gonna be a doctor or no how do you get there what happens by being turned down by being blackballed from usc that's how i i uh i i i'm one of those people tell me i can't do something and by this time i had really gotten in, the, in into the tell me you can't do something i'm going to show you i can do it Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was in undergrad, finishing up my undergrad at USC and, uh, a teacher said, you know what, you should apply for the, uh, master's program here. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And I did it. And they, uh, promptly told me that my work was academically immature. And I, when I read that, I was academically immature, what does what does that even mean? What, what, why are you, what? Academically immature? Uh, okay. And that resonated with me for a minute. And then I was like, these people are, um, no, no, this, mm, something's not sitting, something didn't sit well with me. So I, uh, I applied at a different school and got in. And I was mm -hmm. like, hmm. Not so academically immature now. Well, let's see what let's see what this is about. And did that, and then I was when I finished that, I was like, you know what? I'm still not over this academically immature thing. I'm gonna get another master's. And so the first master's was in uh, business, uh, entertainment with a focus on entertainment business. The second master's was an MFA in creative writing, because at this point I'm secure in the fact that I want to be a filmmaker. I skipped a whole bunch of stuff. So I skipped the fact that out of undergrad, I went on tour with 50 Cent, toured for 30 days with them, saw how the business worked, came back, and that was what the decision was to apply to a sec to another school. So 50 I'm Cent was kind of your education. As far as the business, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not in the rap game, but as far as I know, like that's the dude to learn from. That's the dude making all kind of moves as far as without a doubt i learned a lot on that tour i learned you gotta you get you can't halfway do anything in this industry hmm. i learned that um you even when like you gotta stay hungry that you gotta be like willing to do what everybody else is not willing to do to get where you want to be and i learned that there are tons of moving parts to each to this to like a tour or to a film or to whatever it was you're trying to do. And I knew in that moment that I knew I knew just enough to be stupid. Mm -hmm. So that's when I was like, I need to know how this entertainment business thing works all the way around. That's why I made the decision to get the, to go into in, to business. 
And then the MFA came about because I was still a creative at heart. I, I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to know how to convey to people in the clearest form and fashion how to tell my to tell my stories. So then the, that's how the MFA came about. So after those two degrees, I was like, well, I'm done. This is it. MFA is a terminal degree. I'm good. Uh, let me go out here and find a job and, you know, start working and doing something in my field. And they were, that was promptly here in Columbia. No, <laughs> that's not happening, sir. Uh, and I was like, no, I, I have an MFA in, in, in creative writing. I could write anything like, no, we're not hiring for that. And then I started to see some of my peers that had, you know, just an undergrad degree doing big commercials and, doing big things and getting breaks. And I was like, hmm, okay. So then I took a year and really just dove into Fanatic Productions, which was my, my, my production company, and tried to pull that together. Um, after a year, um, I had spent my life savings. I had about 10 grand in a building uh, on Taylor Street that uh, I was renting and I had spent the money to have it rehabbed on the inside, AC, built a soundproof booth. I needed a place to work out of. And uh, the owner sold the building to, uh, I'm not gonna say who, cause it's an organization here in town. And uh, they basically said, listen, we're not renewing your lease and we, we're gonna give you 30 days to get your stuff and vamoose. Hmm. After um, you had put money into the building. Correct. And uh, and so I fought fought that and ended up getting a lawyer and everything. And, and the only thing I got out of it was 60 days to get out of the space instead of 30 days. And I was utterly defeated at that point. I went and got a job with Amazon. I was ready to hang up my video skills. Uh, it just wasn't working out, wasn't meant to be. And... Uh, I thought that was going to be the end of the story. And uh, a friend of mine, he got into a doctoral program and he said that you really should apply. I think you w would do this, could do this. And I brushed it off for a while, almost a whole year. And then finally, they they contacted me out of the blue. Like they, I was home keeping my kid. I was working third shift at, at Amazon. And during the daytime, I was keeping my my, my youngest, and uh, the guy called me up, and we talked, and I told him what I was really interested in, and I just told him, you know, I didn't think it was going to be for me. He was like, "Listen, apply. Let's see if you let's see if they, you know, if if you get in, then there's all kind of other things that you can do. You know, this you you have a, a business degree." Um, just look at what we have to offer. And I said, if I did anything, I would want it to relate to film. And, um, and he, so he sent me an email and I, I looked at it and project management is what stood out. And I was like, well, what about project management? Could I do something like that with film? He was like, I don't know that nobody's ever asked me that before. Most people that take project management, are, it's going to be, industrial projects, construction projects, but I don't see why, let me, let me find out. He called me back, he was like, there's no curriculum for that, but there's nothing saying that you can't skew your projects 
because he said it's individually based. You you work off the curriculum, but the subject matter that you choose to work in, whether it's construction or IT or whatever it is, you choose that. And I was like, hmm, okay. And uh, and so I applied and got in, and uh, the struggle began. It was working at Amazon over on third shift and keeping my son during the daytime, trying to keep up with the schoolwork. And the first couple of years, I was like, I am not, this is, I'm not gonna make it. Um, and I can remember calling my wife and saying, I am miserable at this job. I like, literally, I wanna jump out this window and hit the highway. Like, and she was like, if it's, uh, if it's that bad, you, you know, it's not what you really are meant to be doing, quit, we'll figure it out. And that was a hard thing for me to do. Pause. Is this the same partner? That's my wife. As, no. the, as the previous girlfriend. So that was no. somebody else and that relationship fizzled out and now this is a new person. Yes. This is so, my current wife. So the, the there is wife, I'm sure she'll love that description. My uh <laughs> just your my, wife. My oh, wife's okay. wife. Yeah, no, don't, don't, don't no, get me in he, trouble, man. I got enough problems. <laughs> but I'm making an important distinction mm -hmm. is that the first time you had this moment where you were like, I cannot in my soul do this mm -hmm. anymore. Your partner at that time told Flipped you you out. had to. You she had to. Out, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But She's now this person said, we will figure it out, which is what you had said, which in truth, you always do. I mean, uh, there is a way I've had that experience in my life. It wasn't a choice. I mean, it was just external influences that came upon us. And it was like, okay, well, this is our life now. So well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> find a new way. But no, um, that's one of my catchphrases. I'll figure it out. Yeah, but, yeah. absolutely. That's a so mantra. It's not a catchphrase. That's a mantra. Mantra. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll figure yeah. it out. But that's important, though. Like that, you had the support of someone. Who... A support system has made all the difference. Just a person that understands that this is who I am at the core. Yeah. That I am not normal. <laughs> uh, You're not I a normie. I see you as doing many of the things that you talked about, what, you know, like wanting to show the kid in the rural town that, yes, there is a path for you. I'm going to show you how. And then the Indie Grits Fellowship and working with you. So I was an Indie Grits Fellow under your direction. Darian is a former Indie Grits Fellow. You worked with under a different person, right, Darian? Right. But I mean, I, I see you doing that now. Do you feel like you've arrived? Um, I'm working my plan. I don't know if I've arrived. My plan is always evolving. Uh, the, the bigger plan being to, to, to help uh, change the way that the state is looked at for entrepreneur independent filmmaking. So I don't think I'll ever arrive. I think I'm, I'm like always building and laying new track to, to keep moving and pushing the goal forward. Uh, you know, ultimately, I'm a filmmaker that is that has been forced into doing this kind of stuff uh, because nobody else is going to do it. And I got tired of complaining about it. So, you know, I, I would be the person that stands up in a public meeting and say, you know, what about what about us? What about the filmmakers here? 
what are you doing for us? And people would be like, shh, shh, what do you, what, what do you mean? They're doing plenty for you. The fact that you even got a PA job, you should be happy. Like you should be thankful. You're in South Carolina. What do you expect? And that was never my, like, <laughs> I'm like, listen, I'm not, I, I, I PA with the best of them, but I got, I got more knowledge to gain more knowledge to give like, and there's super talented folks here that are being marginalized because of people's other people's limited scope of thought. And they think that that's all they're good for. And so it just became a thing for me. Again, if you tell me I can't do a thing, <laughs> I'm the kind of person that's oh really? Okay, well, let's figure it out. I'll figure it there's that I'll figure it out again. Like, oh, I can't do that? No, okay, I'll figure it out. Let me give me give me time, give me enough time. I feel like MacGyver sometimes. Give me enough time and a stick of gum and a pocket knife, and I'll figure it out. Well, let's talk about one of your things. Let's talk about one of the things you figured out. Let's talk about um, let's continue with the origin story. The gray. How do you come to this point? How, like Jody and I have talked on other episodes about how the grain was initially uh, under a different regime at the Nick originally was conceived as a radio station that uh, during due to uh, circumstances and COVID being one of them and other things that uh, didn't happen mm -hmm. uh, that was um, arrested. And then you came back. How did you come to pick up that thread and use that thread to bring me, Jody, and Isabel together? Give, give us a little bit of inf information about that. How, because um, 29203 has been the center of the grain since conception. Yeah. So give us a little bit background about all of that. How does, how does that stuff happen? Uh, I so I inherited the the the, pop, the uh, radio station like you said, and you know no offense to anybody who's worked previously. I just I I did not see how in the current state of the organization um, we could we could proceed with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, a podcast could do just as much, and not only could it do just as much, it could it could be focused in a way that radio station can't can't afford to be because of you know of the cost associated with a radio station, right? You, you know, having to actually transmit something. Mm -hmm. And so I started playing with the structure a little bit and um, thinking about what we would need. Um, you know, your name came up as being already associate, associated with it. I knew what you would bring to the table. Um, and I was filling out the fellowships for uh, Indie Grits. Um, I knew that Jody had applied as a podcaster. And then that, that's where the, the light switch came off. I was like, ooh, podcast, that could work. But then I thought, okay, well, she's going to be new to this. She hasn't done a podcast before. Darian, he's got a magnetic personality, you know, but he won't be, he won't have the time to do the engineering, um, 
he might not have the skill set just honestly to to do the audio engineering and because that's you know acting is your thing and so i was like hmm, this is this needs something else and initially i was like well i'll i'll do the engineering and i teach at midlands tech and um i was having a conversation with uh another teacher that uh so i teach at midlands tech but i teach through my as a vendor through my company through fanatic productions and I was speaking with another instructor who does the same thing. His name is Jay Matheson. And he teaches, he has uh, something called the Midlands Audio Institute. And so I, I had already thought about getting some intern work, um, coming to the, to the I, I always want to cross thread these, these organizations, right? That's because they always uh, lean on each other. And, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to reach out to Jay and see if he's got some interns or something. And then it dawned on me, I was like, wait a minute, if he's got some interns, maybe I can uh, get him to give me an intern for, um, you know, all these other projects. And so I went and talked to, spoke to one of his classes. And I said, you know, at the end of the class, I said, you know, if anybody is interested in maybe getting an internship or doing some projects, I've got a project that I, I, I've got coming up that, I, you know, I think I can use an intern for uh, an audio engineer. When you finish this program, I think you'll have the skills to do it. And almost uh, the next day, uh, Isabel contacted me an email, and then I followed up with a phone call from Jade and she had already contacted me, but Jay calls and says, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I got someone that I think would be perfect. <laughs> Yay, <laughs> and she, was, she, and she was already on it. Um, and so, um, we had a brief conversation. <laughs> there she is. We had a, we had a brief conversation and I was like, she was, I was like, do you think you could do this? And she was like, Oh, absolutely. And so we just talked about what she would need to, and my big, my big thing is I want to support people. And I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to come away from working with us um, with just, oh, well, that was a great experience. I want to set you up to be able to do, to go and do the thing that you want to continue doing. I think that calls back to my, you know, earlier statement of like, I want to help people do the thing that they want to do. You know, you, if you want to be a filmmaker, let me show you, right? And so this is the kind of mentality. And so... When I spoke with Isabel, she was like, "Yeah, let's do this." Um, I was like, "Listen, I don't, I can't pay you a whole lot, but I, you know, this is what I've got." She was like, "Great," <laughs> and I'll need a couple things, and we worked that out. And uh, and then it was just making sure that, and I, I, I had talked to Jody, so I knew her personality, and she was very no nonsense, straightforward. Like she's a straight shooter, uh, but she's got a wealth of knowledge about the system, and you know how. Um, the politics of things uh, intermingle with the cultural things. And then Darian has been boots on the ground working in culture and the neighborhood that we were highlighting from for years. Matter of fact, you know, I'm a transplant. So when I, when I talk with Darian, he's giving me, yeah, yeah. So over here used to be such and such and me and the boys used to do this and that and the third. And he's telling me all these stories. I'm like, man. And then, you know, the idea is that a storyteller doesn't, it doesn't matter what the format is. A storyteller is going to tell a story. 
And so I figured with Darian helping, you know, framing out stories, Jody adding the, the salt and pepper and seasoning and the context to the stories that are being told and Isabel being able to engineer them so that they're clear and we could we could make something marketable. I was like, this is a dream team right here. Thank you, God. Thank you for bringing these <laughs> folks together. That made, you made that look easy. All right. You ain't know. You ain't know. <laughs> well, it's so funny to hear you tell that because we had not, I mean, I don't know, maybe Darian and Isabel, maybe you had heard it, but I had never heard how that all really developed. So no, I just know I showed up for the fellowship thing and I was excited because I wanted to do my podcast, even though I had no idea how to do it and someone was going to fund me. And I was like, yes. So I showed up and, and also I was excited because I was going to work with other artists and meet with them and, and kind of get back into that artistic process. So I was super pumped. And then you were like, Oh, you're going to do another podcast too. I was like, Oh, I didn't know that <laughs> when I applied. Yeah, I went to you with this dude you don't know and this yeah. other woman that you don't know. Yeah, yeah just do something, okay? Just yeah, well, and, and also, so we had talked about that a little bit in the last in the last episode that we or one one of the episodes that we recorded where I was kind of telling my story. It was like I didn't know how I would be received because I don't live in Colombia. You know, I mean, I go there sometimes, but I didn't have like a base there you know so it was sort of like i just didn't know if i would be accepted and if i would contribute in 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 a way so my approach is divine intervention as again um when these things arise I'm a, I'm a very, I guess you could say spiritual person. Like I look for the vibes and things, I look, I look for the aura in things. And when you put things out in the universe, like I need, oh man, I got to set this podcast up. And then somebody applies for a podcast position. It's just like, oh, well, well, all right. I got to get an engineer. And then I go and talk Then somebody out the blue is, you know, so I'm, I, again, my life has been very much since I've made the decision to continue to follow that path, those things continue to happen. And, and it's one of those things you have to be open to. Yes. And understand that all you can do is set the table, right? That's all you really can do. And, and throwing you guys together, I knew that this was your first go around. But I also knew that Darian was a strong storyteller and you had a very strong opinion about the system and how the things, how things work. And I, I like to think I'm a pretty good judge of, of character and, and, and people working together. As you uh, pat yourself on the back. Well, you know, just a little, just a little bit. Um, and being able to, to see that you guys would be a good fit together. Not only that, that you would offer each other um, a way to, 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 to take yourselves to the next level. And that's really the, the, the big takeaway for me, from, for you guys, is that I purposefully stepped all the way away after we had our initial meeting. And I was like, okay, guys, figure it out and go. And you guys figured it out. And I have had only one call that said, 
hey, listen, we're trying to get you on this podcast. Now, now <laughs> I don't know what you, what your schedule is like, but uh, we got things to do. And so I am appreciative of all your hard work and all the time it took you guys to structure this out and figure it out. Um, and I just trust and believe that you were the right team to put together to, to own this thing going forward. So kudos to you guys. Uh, even though we don't know you in person, but you've been on the journey with us, hopefully. If not, go back and listen to some of the other episodes and and come along because we have all have stories to tell. The Grain Podcast is brought to you through a grant from the Knight Foundation in partnership with Indie Grits Labs and the lovely people of 29203. Thanks to our audio engineer, Isabel Alvarado, and our hosts... Darren McLeod and Jody Srutek. And don't forget to subscribe to The Grain for more great episodes.